Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Here we are, April 1st, David, April 1st, episode number, what is it, 49? 49, we're almost at 50. Uh, and we've made it through to, we made it through the first quarter of 2021. We're all still here. We're still here. Yep. We made it through. Um, so things could be worse, right? That's right. Uh, so today we're just going to do a very simple episode because we've both been busy. I'm getting my vaccine tomorrow. I'm excited about that. That's yeah, that's exciting. Um, but today we'll just do a Reddit episode where we look at Reddit and we react to Reddit. Not the, uh, the most enlightened content, but we'll go back to today I learned because that worked last time and we'll see whether or not we learn anything. Does that sound? You <laughs> probably will. Does that sound like a good way to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour? Yep, it does. Let's okay, do it. Okay, let's jump into it. Okay, today I learned in the UK it is legal for someone over 18 to buy a child over 16 beer, wine, or cider if they are eating a table meal together in licensed premises. At home, it's a different matter. A child aged 5 to 16 can drink alcohol at home or on other private premises. Oh, wow. Um, is it actually illegal to give like a teenager beer here in America? If it's like you're, you know, you're at a family event or something? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Because you've never I would drank, imagine. So. I never, I don't know. I've never, yeah, I've never drank, so I don't know. But uh, I think even if the act of doing that is is not is not illegal, maybe they can bring up other charges like child abuse or child neglect or something like that. Yeah, um, but I do think that in Britain they have a healthier respect for alcohol because. They know that alcohol is something that you have one or two drinks of with a meal. And children in America or kids, they don't have any experience with alcohol. So they think that it's something that you just binge on until you puke. I think that exposing someone to something at a young age and showing them the right way to drink is to have a glass of wine with a meal. It's not to buy a gallon of the cheapest wine you could find and try to drink the whole thing. Uh, I think that's that's sort of a good way to lessen the impact. I never forget to turn off the sound. <laughs> it's a good way to lessen the impact of uh, drinking is to expose kids to it earlier and make them have a healthy respect for drinking. It's sort of, I see it similar to the, the gun argument. If you grow up with guns, you have a respect for guns. You know that you don't point a gun at someone. You, don't, you know that you don't keep a gun loaded or, you know, if your gun is loaded, you have the safety on until you're ready to use it. You may not know any of those things if you go out at 21 with no prior experience and just buy a gun. That's very true. Very true. But I didn't know this obscure legal law in Britain, and I give this, I rate this a C minus. This isn't that, <laughs> this isn't that interesting to me, so shall we move on? No. Yeah, we should move on. Today I learned elephants have a special alarm sound for humans, and they can tell the difference between human ethnic groups and classify them by their level of threat. How do they know that? (laughs) 
How do they know that? Ethnic groups. How do they know? So are like white people more dangerous than black people? I mean, I'm sure they don't say they bury the lead here, but they can well, they probably differentiate ethnic groups by skin tone, right? No, I you know, that brings up a number of things here. One is Today I learned. How do we know that's true? Mm -hmm. Maybe someone is making up. Two, uh, that may be a way to frame something that does happen. In other words, uh, you know, like uh, someone who's local in Africa, they might have a very, very different way of walking through uh, the bush than someone who's from Europe or North America. You know, they're clumsy. They're they, you know, they'll fall down, they'll talk, you know. Mm -hmm. And so so they'll say, oh, they can tell different ethnic groups. Well, yeah, what does that mean? I, you know, at, for for a human doing that, they go, oh, you know, that's black, that's white. You know, uh, I don't think elephants do that. I, I think elef it, it may be uh, something different. So to me, this brings up different different elements of uh, what part of that statement is true and what part of it is kind of like uh Framing it. Yes. So it's apparently they distinguish less dangerous people from more dangerous by the color of their clothes and body odor. I mean, I can understand that if the same poachers are coming to where you live and poaching, that you're like, oh, those are the bad guys. And if someone sort of looks and smells like them, it's like, oh, those are the bad guys. But to say that they can differentiate between ethnic groups and classify them by their level of threat, I don't know. That's, that seems a little sensational. Now, I do want to say... This is not exactly the premier journal of nature and science. <laughs> this is HowStuffWorks.com. Now, it looks like there is some, you know, attribution. There's some hyperlinks here, but take it with a grain of salt, right? Just because it's on Today I Learned on Reddit doesn't mean that it's the gospel truth, like you're saying. No, not at all. Like they said, humans run. No. <laughs> Moving on. Today I learned of the time... I, I, I give that a D minus. D minus? Yeah. Um, there may be some truth, but it's hard to find. Also, I think that people like to anthropomorphize animals. It's like, yeah. oh, the, the elephants are saying, humans run, and they can tell when someone's a poacher. And it's like, maybe, but we don't really know the cognitive processes that are going on. Like, I have a cat. I don't really know what's going through her head. <laughs> And I, right. I think that we like to ascribe human emotions and human thought processes to animals because that's what makes sense to us. That's our only frame of reference. When their thought processes and emotions might actually be considerably different, but it's not like they're going to tell us about it. Uh, moving on, D minus. So that one's worse than the British drinking laws? Yeah. T today I learned of the Tongan castaways, six boys who stole a boat and were stranded on a deserted island in 1965, staying there for 15 months before rescued. Called a real-life Lord of the Flies, the boys built a commune with a garden, a permanent fire, a gym, and a badminton court. Interesting. Yeah. So where was the island? Well, Tonga is in the Pacific... So I'm assuming that they, let's take a look of Tonga. 
They were from Tonga? They were from Tonga. They were Tongan boys. Um, there's a bunch of little islands. I mean, here's Tonga. There's New Zealand to the south. Yeah. So there's a bunch of little islands out here that probably you can't even see. Yeah, you zoom oh, in. East, east of Fiji. Yeah. So they probably took off, ended up at one of these little uninhabited islands. See, look, Kofu, if, if you, yeah, if you zoom in, there's tiny little ones. Yeah. And some of them don't have people. That's fascinating. I like that one. That was a good one, yeah. 1965. The Tongan Castaways. They stole a boat. Mm-hmm. I you imagine that they had some level of facility with living in nature if they were able to build a garden and a permanent fire. Uh-huh. I think if you took uh if you took 15 kids from the middle school down the street and you put them <laughs> on a desert island, they'd be dead in 2 weeks. Uh-huh. I I genuinely it, it believe that. say how old the boys were either. That's true. They could have been but boys sort of leads you to believe that they're under 18, right? Yeah. Okay. Today I learned, after writers described the character as Tom Petty without success, Mike Judge ventured to actually ask Tom Petty to voice Lucky in King of the Hill. Tom Petty said yes and voiced the character for 28 episodes. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I hear a lot about stuff like this and it's inspiring Andrew WK I like his music and he was talking about his first album and he loved this band growing up and he was making the album and he was like yeah and I didn't know any better so I I found out who their drummer was and I wrote him and I said do you want to play drums on my first album I like your band and he said yeah so a lot of times, you just have to have the nerve to ask. That's right. <laughs> uh, today I learned about Kawa. E oh, oh. <laughs> a now extinct species of bird endemic to the island of Kauai in, the, in Hawaii. The last individual ever was a male, and he was recorded singing a mating call to a female that would never come. He died in 1987. That's sad. <laughs> That's sad. Yeah. I don't like that one. That one, that one really brought me down. <laughs> He's saying a mating call and, and no one ever came. Uh-huh. And then he was yeah. the last of his last of his species. Tell about Kawa. What's E O U what is that? That's Hawaiian. E -O -O. It's like, you know how it's like... Oh, that's humu, the name of the bird? Yeah, humu, humu, nuku, nuku, opua'a. That's the, oh, the yeah. Hawaii. Ko, kawa, i o o You know, or something like that. Kawa, i o o <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the name of the bird. Sometimes I feel like him. <laughs> he died in 1987. 1987. I saw the New York Times did a piece on the last two white rhinos. They're functionally extinct because there's no male. And he traveled to see him, and he thought it was going to be sad. And he's like, it was it was interesting. I thought it was going to be sad. But they're just, they're living, it's a mother and daughter. They're just out there living their lives. They have these protectors, because they're the last two of their kind, human protectors. 
that make sure that they're totally provided for. And it's like, they're just going along. They don't know that their story <laughs> on Earth is over. Their species story is over. But they're just living their lives. And it was kind of yeah. uplifting. That's different than old Kawaii Oh oh who's singing his mating call to no one that will ever come. And then he died. <laughs> yeah. Okay, today I learned Warren Buffett, the world's third richest man with a network of net worth of $75 billion, took Bill Gates to McDonald's and paid for his meal using coupons. Yeah, I've heard that before. That's I've heard that good. one as well. I like that one. I like that one, too. He used coupons. And I also heard that he didn't want to buy one of the... Oh, when he bought uh, uh, McMuffin, he didn't want the McMuffin with egg because it cost too much, and that, that wasn't a... A good deal for the egg. I mean, yeah, there's a whole clip like of him. Yeah, that's exactly the story. Your story is totally right. He says, yeah, well, <laughs> there's a McDonald's on my way to the office in Omaha, the Berkshire Hathaway office. He's like, can I stop there? And sometimes I'll get a sausage McMuffin. It's like, it's a very good deal, 99 cents. But I never get the sausage McMuffin with egg because the sausage McMuffin with egg is $2.49. And I think $1.49 is a little too much to pay for one egg. <laughs> it's not a value deal. Yeah. <laughs> What he does with millions and billions of dollars, he does the same thing with uh, two ninety uh, nine nine cents to two ninety five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Hey, he is who he is, and it's kind of like he does the right thing regardless of the money. Mm-hmm. And why should the value increase one point five x? You know, it's one hundred fifty percent more expensive just because you add an egg. In his mind, it's like that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. That's how he sees the world. Uh huh. He's a. Make- he assesses value, and he makes purchases based on the value of things. But, and he uses coupons. But from my, from my perspective, the sausage McMuffin with egg is so much better than the sausage McMuffin. <laughs> it really ties it all together. It's like uh-huh. eating a BLT without the bacon. <laughs> That's a good one. Moving on. Today I learned Joseph Strauss, the engineer of the Golden Gate Bridge, mandated that a net be installed under the bridge for safety while being built. This was revolutionary at the time. The net caught 19 men who fell, saving all of them from certain death. Wow. 19. So, yeah. Well, I like that fact. I yeah. like that. Well, I think that, you know, OSHA, safety regulations, things like that, they're a pain in the butt if you're a contractor, but they probably have saved lives throughout the years. And mm-hmm. something as simple as let's put up a net. No one ever thought of that. People died building bridges all the time. It's it's hard to wrap your head around, but the Golden Gate Bridge wasn't built very long ago. And I bet you for 100 years they had the ability to put up a net. I'm looking into it. The Golden Gate Bridge. About 100 years ago, right? 1933. Less than 100 years ago. So yep, th- throughout throughout human history, up until 90 or 88 years ago, no one had ever thought of putting a net underneath the bridge while it was being built to stop the workers from dying. It's, it's, yeah. it's mind-boggling to me, but everything is obvious once it's in practice. You know, but to a lot of unnecessary hardship and death and 
has been done by the fact that something just hadn't been thought of yet. Well, the, the reason they didn't, people just died. They just accepted that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, people wouldn't accept that, and they changed it. Today, we, we think it's think it's uh, terrible that you would, wouldn't take safety precautions to save people's lives, but back then, they didn't. Uh, that that's I get again. That's another case. To things were different back then. Mm-hmm. Things people accepted things where they don't accept things today. And uh, yeah, oh, he died. He fell off the bridge. Okay. Yeah. Should you something about that to keep him from dying? Uh, today we think of that. Back then they didn't. And I'm sure the net did not substantially increase the price of construction. But it did save 19 lives. And those are skilled laborers that you could put right back up on the bridge, <laughs> have them continue to do work, and they know their job. And you know you don't lose those people forever. It's uh, it's crazy to me. Uh, here's a non-sequitur example. But when I was a kid, and of course when you were a kid because you're older than me, suitcases didn't have wheels. And... You see a suitcase with wheels, and it's like, that makes perfect sense. Why hasn't this existed before? You see all these old movies, and they have these big bulky suitcases, and they're carrying them with their arm. And it's like, why didn't they think of wheels on suitcases before this? Well, when I was young, your suitcase was about this big. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, 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 you wouldn't take everything. You'd say, oh, and the thing on the movie, you see people with all this. Those are the rich people. Yeah. You, you would have a suitcase about this big, and you put in there just what you needed, and you had to think about it, you know? Uh, and you put in there just what you needed, and that's what you carried. I, I still have one upstairs. It's about this big. Moving on. In the 5th century BC, diabetes was first identified by a surgeon named Sushruta who pointed out that the urine of diabetics was sweet enough to attract ants, and it was sticky to the touch. He noted that diabetes affected rich castes and was related to the excessive consumption of rice and sweets. Wow. 5th century B.C. Wow. Shushruta. Wow. That, that's, a, that's a really good fact. It's yeah. a long time ago. I think that it's interesting. How do we know he? How do we know he did that five, five centuries before? You know, five thousand BC. How do we know that? Well, I don't know, but also I'm sure he didn't say. You know, insulin. Oh. <laughs> you know, the production of insulin yeah. is compromised in a diabetic, and that's why they have higher levels of blood sugar. I, I'm sure he didn't put all of that together. He's just like, oh, there's. He identified that there was a condition. Oh, oops, what am I doing? He identified there was a condition that made your urine high in sugar. That's about it. Yeah. Because it's the headline. They always try to make things sound a lot cooler than they are. (laughs) Yeah. He identified diabetes. It's like, did he really? Or did he just notice that a group of... By a surgeon... Named Shushruta, a surgeon in the fifth century. What was a surgeon doing in the fifth century BC? <laughs> Amputations, maybe in war, or uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, today, I learned the role of U.S. First Lady does not need to go to the president's wife. Prior First Ladies include nieces and daughters-in-law of the sitting president. 
So if a uh, president's a bachelor or a widow were, they can choose someone else to be a first lady instead That's of their wife. Cool. Yeah. I guess I never thought of it, but I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That is in law. It's sort of like they have to assume the duties of first lady. I guess. Are there are there duties of a first lady? I don't know. All I know is that, you know, Michelle Obama and Jill Biden, they're all fine, but Melania was the best first lady we've ever had. <laughs> Just kidding. Advertisement. Okay. Today I learned that Ivan the Terrible executed his first rival when he was 13 years old. There you go. Wow. There you go. Some people are born that way, I guess. Or, yeah, I mean, you grow up, it's cutthroat. Maybe he wouldn't have become Ivan the Terrible. Maybe he would have become Ivan the Dead Guy if he didn't kill that guy. <laughs> that's right. I mean, maybe he was sort of locked into circumstance as well. Yeah, well, that's not. That's really not too surprising, knowing that he did kill so many people, and it's horribly. So that wasn't... It's not too hard to believe. Well, I don't know too much about Ivan the Terrible. I think that he was, you know, a hard-nosed czar, but I don't think he was any more of a monster than, like, Stalin. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he sort of... I'm I'm not sure. I probably shouldn't speak to this because I don't really... I never really studied Ivan the Terrible. But I feel like Stalin was a worse leader. <laughs> the Kolkos and... You know, and how how many people did Hitler kill? Yeah, fewer than Stalin. So, uh, I mean, all told, but I mean, Stalin he had bad ideas that starved millions of people. Hitler actually had them killed in a concentration camp. So, do you hear the woodpecker? Yeah, it drives me crazy. Uh, today I learned that birch trees have bark that peels because they can photosynthesize through their bark. Peeling off the old bark removes lichen fungus that would prevent photosynthesis. Wow. Do you want to go take care of the woodpecker? Problems, problems. So there's a woodpecker pecking on Mikey's house. He's going to take care of it. I am going to sit here and yawn. Doing these podcasts first thing in the morning, I'm having my first cup of coffee as we record, and I'm always a little bit groggy when we get going, and I feel bad because I wake up, I come down, and then we go live, and and I'll see myself, you know, rubbing my eyes, or, and of course, if you're listening to the audio version, you can't see any of this, but on the video version, it's it's not particularly nice to look at someone touching their face and, and be in of just moments away from sleep, moments out of a, a sleepy coma, but that's just the way it is, you know, and I think it's better to do this podcast every day than to not do it. Now I'm getting a call. I'm going to take a look. I've been getting so many spam calls these last few days. It's been extraordinarily annoying. But nope, we're good. They tell me they're from the Social Security Administration. Your Social Security has been suspended. 
Oh, he's back. Yeah, I'm back. I got another spam call. I got one. They left a message yesterday. Uh-huh. And it's like, hello, we are from Social Security. Your Social Security number has been suspended. Please select one to give us all of your personal information. <laughs> and it's like, no. Like, like, that's not how the Social Security Administration works. They don't send you a call from a weird number that when you Google it, doesn't link back to anything and have a recorded message. And it sounds like the recorded message was a, a robot because they probably couldn't find someone without an accent to record the message in the first place. <laughs> That's right. I was thinking these scams these days, the ones that they try to perpetrate, you know, on me, they're not really very sophisticated. Cuz I really do think you could trick people by saying like, "Oh, go to sosgov.us." or ssagov.us or something. You could you could register a domain name and then you could just sort of have it look like uh, this, you know? Because you can clone sites. You can clone all of this. And it's like, you know, you log in to sign in. Uh, my social security. And then, you know, if you put in your username and password it doesn't take you into the site because the site's not real but then they have your username and password for the social security site and they can use it to exploit uh, exploit you i mean they're but they're not doing stuff that sophisticated their scam is this is social security your social is about to expire please press one to give us your personal information it's like that doesn't seem legit it's it's strange just how unsophisticated the scams are Okay, back to the show, right? I get calls all the time about your your school loan uh, is, and I, I don't even have a school loan. Yeah, it goes, you haven't been in school in fifty years. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so the bark thing—that's fine, whatever. Today I learned <laughs> a man sued the NFL over ownership rights, claiming he was gifted the company by Saddam Hussein in 1991. <laughs> I wonder how far that went. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I wonder if anyone, you know, he sued. I wonder, did they throw it out immediately? Or I wonder what happened. I, you, know, you imagine, uh, like, in the initial phase, the NFL team or the NFL, sort of shows provenance of this is when the NFL was incorporated, this is who's owned it. They're, you know, they sort of provide a lineage. And it's like, these are the current shareholders. Saddam Hussein was never a shareholder. Therefore, he could not gift the company to this man. So they have to answer that. Probably, right? yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, I guess a true story, not giving out names, but uh, this person uh, enrolled. It was a business. He was a lawyer enrolled into a, uh, a college, and uh, he flunked out. He got it. He got admitted, and he flunked. Uh, he couldn't do the work. He wouldn't. He could just couldn't do it. So he sued the university because his case was well, since you admitted me. That's telling me that I could do it, but I couldn't do it. So therefore, that's fraud. So he sued the university for fraud because they admitted him. Should I? And that's, get, telling, that's telling me he could do it. Did he win? No. 
Uh, if he would have won, you know what I would do today? <laughs> I would go up to 24-hour fitness. I'd buy a membership. And then in a month, I'd say, my body doesn't look like I'm cut from marble. By selling me the membership, you were admitting that you thought that that's what would happen to me. I'm still a fat bowl of pudding. You owe me a million dollars, 24-hour fitness. Yeah. Same, and, same logic, right? Yeah. Hey, I, I, and I, I joined, and I'm not a 20-year-old girl now after, <laughs> after a month. You know, what is this? Today I learned that Treasure Planet's production and sound design followed a 70-30 law, which meant the overall look of the film's artwork and design of the sound effects and music should be 70% traditional and 30% sci-fi. Dumb. Treasure Planet's production? I, oh, I, that's just there. I think it's like a movie or something. I don't know. But they wanted the sound effects because it's like a flying ship to be like ship sound effects for 70% and then like space sound effects for 30%. It's dumb. I don't like this one. I think this yeah, person... I, I, my guess is that this user loves that movie sci-fi. or whatever the hell that is. Yeah. Uh, doesn't doesn't resonate with me at all. Today I learned Australia has 10,685 beaches. If you visited one beach per day, it would take you more than 32 years to see them all. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. If you like beaches, go to Australia. Beaches. <laughs> did beaches. You like, did you like the movie Beaches? Uh I I don't remember. I can't remember what it was like, but I I, I liked it okay. Yeah. It was a tearjerker, right? Doesn't Barbara was Barbara Hershey or it's Bette Midler remember. and I think it's Barbara Hershey. Bette Midler and It was a long time ago. I saw it, I'm pretty sure I saw it. But the one that's not Bette Midler gets cancer and dies. And Yeah, the young girl. Uh nineteen eighty eight. Bette Midler, Barbara Hershey, boom, I'm so good. And, oh, the daughter was played by Maya Bialik. Oh, How wow. about that? Gary Marshall oh. directed it. Of uh, Laverne and Shirley uh-huh. fame, Happy Days? Uh-huh, yeah. His daughter was... Penny? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's funny, the internet rabbit hole, I feel like we're going down an internet rabbit hole. You talk about Australia's beaches, and it reminds you of the movie Beaches. Movie Beaches, Before you know it, you're on the Gary Marshall's Wikipedia page. You're like, how the hell did I end up here? (laughs) Uh, That's the internet, right? Yeah, that's the internet. But that's Australia. That's a good one. Uh, 10,000 beaches. Well, you know, you have Minnesota, the the land of 10,000 lakes. Mm -hmm. Well, you have Australia, the the land of 10,000 beaches. Yeah. I'm sure you could do more than one beach in a day. I'm sure if you had a car, you could do 20 beaches in a day. Yeah, you could could fly over them, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, today I learned that every year Romans would crucify dogs while geese sat upon purple and gold pillows and watched. This was because when the Gauls attacked Rome in 390 BC, the geese raised an alarm while the guard dogs were silent. Huh. I like geese. That's that's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of barbaric. It sort of speaks to their their culture and their society. That the geese goes, the geese might have been flying around. 
the soldiers may have had to walk through the geese, so they, they started squawking before the dogs could smell them. Whatever. And so the Romans, they immediately jumped to, you know what we need to do? Put these geese on pillows and slaughter our dogs. That's their first thought, right? It's, it's a barbaric society. Mm-hmm. Today I learned that heterotaxy syndrome is one of the designations given in those humans whose internal organs are arranged in a different manner than it is to be expected. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand, don't realize that, that uh, uh, what is the normal arrangement of our organs inside of our body? Yeah. Uh, it's the one that just a majority of people have it that way, but everyone does not have the same arrangement. Some people have their heart on the other side of the, on, of the chest. Yeah, and uh, so their liver would be on their left side and their heart would be on their right side. Yeah, they just, they just reversed. Um, and I think that heterotaxy, that's heterotaxy because things are on the wrong side, but it's just flipped. I do think that there's some instances where the organs are not in the right place. Like this is supposed to be shielded by here, but they're reversed. And it's like, but that's not mm. good because then you're more at risk. Just I think okay. it's, I think it's how you form. Like in the womb, right? Yeah, that's yep. that would be my guess of what causes heterotaxy, or yeah, who knows? I but don't yeah, know. it's fascinating that yeah. I mean, I think that if you ask what side is your liver on, and you went and you asked a hundred people on the streets, um, heterotaxy notwithstanding, you'd get about fifty to sixty percent right answers. <laughs> Let's say, let me think. No, it's not in your head. <laughs> yeah. What side is your liver on? I mean, you got a 50-50 shot because either you're right or you're wrong. <laughs> so if you say, if you, okay, from that statement, David, if you ask people that be 50% right, that just means they, don't, they have no idea. Uh-huh. Because it's random. Yeah. They're guessing. They don't know. But I think most people know that, that, that it's on on. Usually it's it's on one side or the other. Yeah. The right side. I like this one. Today I learned that several ancient religions believe cats are exalted souls, companions or guides for humans, and that they are all-knowing but mute so they cannot influence decisions made by humans. I don't know about not being able to influence decisions made by humans because I want it. I'm deciding to sit down and watch TV and my cat is deciding to meow at the back door because she wants to go outside. And then I let her outside, and I, I decide that I want to sit down and watch TV. And then she decides that she wants me to come back to the back door and let her back inside because she's meowing. <laughs> so I think they can influence human decisions. Well, I love the video, David, that you sent us of she's sleeping or whatever, you decide to go on the back on the back porch, sit and read your book. And when you start reading your book, she decides to get up, crawl between you and the book, uh-huh, her face right in front of you and, and say, "Look, <laughs> she hates it when I read a book. She hates it." <laughs> and the weird thing is I can read my phone and she won't crawl in front of the phone. I think it's something about the size of a book. She's like, "What the hell is he paying attention to and why the hell isn't he paying attention to me?" And she crawls right out, out in your chest, right in your face, between mm -hmm. you and the book. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great video. We should show that someday. She does it on purpose, I tell you. But I can yep. see sort of people thinking, 
I, I do think there's a sort of a lesson here. No one would think that dogs are gods or exalted souls because dogs are just so eager to please. I do think that you can earn the benefit of the doubt about sort of your wherewithal or your knowledge of the universe just by keeping your mouth shut. You know? Yeah, that, that old saying, uh, keep your mouth, sh stay quiet so people will not think you're a fool. Yeah, it's... Instead of, what is it? It is better to remain quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah, that, that's how it's said. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but cats, I like cats. They're funny. They drive, yeah. My cat drives me crazy, but, you know, I like cats. Today I learned... Well, another thing about cats, uh, w one thing that I noticed about your cat is that usually it ignores you. Mm -hmm. It ignores me. But I can't remember the situation. Uh, oh, yeah, I do. Someone close to us died. And I come downstairs and and Gogo is, was sleeping. She looks at me. And she sits up, and then she comes over to to me, like to comfort me, because she knows that I'm in distress. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say cats aren't aren't friendly or whatever. They are. They 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 are they are part of the family just as much as dogs are. They just have a different way of showing it. Mm -hmm. I I it was obvious that she, looking at me, came right over there and looked at me is kind of like saying I'm sorry, and uh, just, it was very, very impactful. And uh, anyway, but what's the I, next one? Do I hear the cat? Logo? She's meowing she outside the door. Yeah. She knows we're talking about her. <laughs> she heard her name. Uh-huh, she probably did. She, she knows, again, you'll say treats. Mm-hmm. And she'll look at you. Okay, G give it up. Give, you know, give it up. Yeah. Where Where are they? So she they understand your words. All right. We're at forty minutes. I say we do about five more. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah, and that's good. Today I learned that in 1957 the BBC show Panorama aired a segment on the Swiss spaghetti harvest as an April Fool's joke. Several viewers were left believing that pasta grew on trees, including the then Director General of the BBC, Sir Ian Jacob. Yeah, that's a fun fact. Yep, because it, it's April Fool's Day. Today I learned yep. that Malcolm X was an inspiration for the X-Men character Magneto, while Martin Luther King was an inspiration for Professor X. Oh. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. If you know yeah. the lore of the X-Men. It's interesting that Malcolm X became Magneto, and Martin Luther King became Professor X. <laughs> Uh, today I learned that in West Fjords, a region of Iceland, it was law from 1615 to as recent as 2015 that any Basque person in the region should be killed on sight. Oh my goodness. What's <laughs> a Basque person? A hey. Basque is a region of Spain. Wow. The Basque 20, country. 2015. I bet you they just, it was like, uh. Let me just kill our, so we can see it on the map. This is the Basque country in red, right here. Do you see it? 
No, I just see a I just see a map of Spain. Okay, I'll zoom oh. in on the Basque country. Oh, I see. Yeah, right there. Oh, this right in there. This red border is the Basque country. Bilbao. Bilbao. Yeah, that's the, that looks like the capital of the Basque country. So there's the Basque country. Uh, Why? Oh, yeah. And there's this region of Ireland. Look, I mean, Iceland. See, this region up here. The West Northwest. Fjords. Yeah. How, what did these two do to each other? Uh, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> They're so far away from each other. How is this possible that this law was on the books until 2015? Wow. That sort of, that one is the type of one that's like, I kind of want to know why, you know? <laughs> I find that that interesting. interesting. Yeah. That That's a good one. 1615 to as recent as 2015. Now, my guess is it was just a dead law, you know? Yeah, no one ever enforced it. Yeah. Or, or even maybe, tried to find out. Or maybe, you know, the Basques... They're, maybe they were trading partners. Let me just let's just do some hypotheticals. It's sixteen fifteen, and a ship of Spaniards come from the Basque region to Iceland trading. They get all their good stuff out in Reykjavik, but they, they say, "Oh, the people of Eastfjorder are Vestburgo. <laughs> they need tradings too." So they come here, but they kind of screw these people over, and they're trading, and they leave. These people say, I think we got screwed over on this trade. <laughs> and it's 1615, but I declare, anyone from the Basque country comes back here, we kill them. And everyone in East of Yorder says, that's a great idea, let's make a law. And then the Basque uh, traders don't come back for hundreds of years. <laughs> Uh -huh. And Iceland doesn't remember that they've made the law, but it's still on the books. And then in 2015, uh -huh. someone's review, reviewing the penal code and they say, oh, maybe we should change this law. We shouldn't be forced to kill people from the Basque country on site. <laughs> That's a reasonable explanation of what happened, right? I guess anyway. In 2015, in 2015, the people that are going to trade from the Basque country are not the same people in 2015 as, as they were in 1615. <laughs> yes. That's likely. That's like it's not the same people. Uh-huh. That's my guess of what happened. Okay, let's do a few more. And then I okay. got to run to the bathroom, so I'm going to have to cut this off a little early. Today I learned that the largest cruise ship today, the Symphony of the Seas, is the equivalent of almost five Titanics in size and mass. Wow. Let's take a Symphony look at that. Wow. They have a picture. Of course, they scale the pictures so they look exactly the same. It would be kind of cool if they showed the Titanic in scale with the Symphony of the Seas, you know? But they didn't. Uh -huh. Not in that picture. No, I'm sure that you probably could if you Googled, but I don't care enough. All I know is, of course, it's bigger today. It was 100 I'll years ago they, they made I'll the Titanic. That. Yeah. So when you say in size and mass, okay, mm -hmm. how do you measure the size? No, I believe in that. That's good enough, you know. Yep. Today I learned that repairs on Ben Franklin's old London house turned up 1,200 pieces of bone from at least 15 people. Was he a serial killer? What? See, that, that that's not enough information. What does that mean? You know, or maybe, maybe, yeah, who knows what that means. And, and I mean, are these repairs done in 20... 15, 2020, let's just say 2020, Ben Franklin's been dead for over 200 years, you know, at that point. 
Well, it, the first thing you think of is something negative. Mm-hmm. What if it was positive? What, what if he was uh, people would come there and uh, they need a they need an amputation, so he'd do that. You yeah, because he was a, he was a smart guy. Or you know, what if a surgeon in the countervailing two hundred years, uh, or a bone collector, or you know, there's you know a bone collector. They live in, they rent out a room in his old London house, because I'm sure that, you know, the Franklin family didn't hold it for 200 years. And they have their little bone collection, and they die, and, and you know, they renovate the room, but the bone collection is sort of tucked away in a corner somewhere. And they, oh, look at all these bones from 15 people. Ben Franklin was a murderer. <laughs> yeah. But that's his London house, not, not his house, United States. Mm-hmm. Today I learned Homer Simpson's infamous Doe was originally scripted simply as Annoyed Grunt. Voice actor Dan Castellaneta took inspiration from comedic actor James Finlayson, who used a longer Doe in the old Laurel and Hardy films because Dan was too offensive at the time. Huh. There you go. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. It's pretty iconic, the Doe. Oh, I like this. I like this album. Today I learned after recording the first 2,000-year-old man record, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner weren't sure people would like it. Then Cary Grant played it for the Queen of England, who loved it. Brooks said, well, if the biggest shiksa in the world loves it, we're home free. It launched their record careers. (laughs) Oh, wow. I would like to point out that both of these men are still alive, I think. Hopefully. Hopefully I'm not wrong about that. Mel Brooks. He's alive. He's 94. And Carl Reiner. Did he just die? He did die in June of last year. But he was 98. 98. Wow. So, hey, Mel, you know. So, I, I think the lesson is having some good laughs. Yep. Maybe it keeps you young. Laugh a lot, you'll live along. DeForest Kelly. Joked that one of his biggest fears was that he's dead, Jim, would be on his tombstone. When he passed away from stomach cancer in 1999, Newsweek led his obituary by saying, we're not even going to try to resist. He's dead, Jim. Because that was his line as the doctor on Star Trek. He's dead, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, one more, and then I think we can call it an episode. Is that okay? Sounds good. Okay. It's a good one. Uh, Hopefully it's good, because I haven't read it yet. Did you read it? I just looked at Forbes Field and University of Pittsburgh campus. Okay. Today I learned relics of Forbes Field, the demolished former stadium of the Pittsburgh Pirates, remain in approximately their original locations in the middle of the University of Pittsburgh's campus. The relics include an outfield wall and a home base encased in the floor of a classroom building. Ah, how about that? I like that. Yay. I like that one, too. That's a good one. Some things are just so iconic, you don't get rid of them. Yeah. And uh, baseball in America and apple pie, that's just pretty uh, pretty iconic. That's pretty oh, good. and that's a good one to end on because today is opening day. Oh, really? Hey, today's opening day. Yay. I was listening to NPR after my alarm went off, and there's a guy... Let me figure out what his name is. I should have done this before I switch camera angles. He's like, and while you're finding it, or you find it, Daniel Bard. 
he was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. He threw 102 miles an hour. About 10 years ago, he got the yips. You know what the yips are? I've heard them. I don't remember what they are. The yips are just a psychological block. He couldn't throw a strike to save his life. And he was very young in his career, I think, you know, just a couple years along. And he said, I can't play anymore. It's, I mean, he was in his own head. He couldn't play anymore. He took seven years off. He was hired by the Diamondbacks as like a mental conditioning coach. So someone who was broken mentally was hired to prevent their players from getting broken mentally in the future. <laughs> well, the Rockies signed him. And he said, I want to play again. And so he's going to be, he's a relief pitcher on the Rockies' official roster opening day. And he may have his first appearance on the mound in more than seven years. Let's see if he's conquered the yips. How about that? Yep. So That's good. Good luck this season to the Colorado Rockies and to Daniel Paul Bard. I hope that you've recovered from your yips. Ah, okay. Well, good. I hope he has too. Uh, yeah. We used to go. We used to see. We used to go to baseball all the time, David. Remember? We yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Went to spring training. Uh, the Rockies down in uh, Tucson when they, well, they, when they were still there. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was so much fun. And then in Phoenix. Yep. It was really fun. Oh, I, you know why they have nine innings? And you know why they have nine innings, don't you, David? I do. But you can. You should tell everyone. I think. Well, you could tell them. But it's your. I, isn't it your formulation? Yeah. You I, came I, up with this, I, and you've seen me. You've been to baseball games with me. You know that I religiously follow this. You follow this. You follow it. Uh, it's the reason baseball has nine innings, and I've noticed this, is because nine is divided by three. Mm-hmm. Three and three and three. The first three innings, you eat all the food you can that you brought and that you can buy. Hot dog, candy, popcorn, peanut. The second three innings, you sleep. Yeah. And the last three, you take a nap, and you do that all the time. Yeah. And the last three innings, you wake up after the after the seventh inning stretch. You wake up to see who won the game. Mm-hmm. And then when the game's over, you go get something to eat. Then you go get something to eat. <laughs> and then when you're after done eating, then you go to sleep. Eat, sleep, baseball, that's what we did, man, wasn't it? Remember? Yeah, spring training was one of my all-time favorite vacations because we would wake up. Uh-huh. And the games are all afternoon games, so they're all like one in the afternoon. We'd wake up, we'd have like a breakfast. We'd uh, eat. Delicious. And it's in Tucson, so it's delicious Mexican food. Like, you know, like oh, breakfast was... burritos smothered in chile or, you know, they had good food there. It was and, really good. And then we would uh, score some snacks because it's just about eating and sleeping. <laughs> so we slept all night. We wake up, we eat. We go get some food to eat once the game starts. We get to the game snack and eat the first three innings and then we take a nap that by this time it's probably three we take a nap from three to four three to four thirty during innings three four and five or no five yep. five uh, four five and six wake up see what happens in the game innings seven eight and nine then we leave the ballpark we go eat and we go to bed and sleep all night and then we do it again the next day that's right like they're 
Sleep and baseball. Eat, sleep, and baseball. There couldn't be a more relaxing vacation than going to spring training. And the games are fun. They're outdoors. They're in Arizona in February and March. So it's nice. You know, the weather is nice. It's dry and warm. And, yeah, you just get fat and well-rested. And when you return to work, you feel like a million bucks. It's the perfect vacation. And I think it was too bad that they moved. One reason that it's too bad they moved from Tucson to Phoenix Mm -hmm. is in Tucson when we were there, uh, it was like uh, a little league ballpark. Yeah. And maybe that's why they didn't like it. But you're, you're sitting right, you know, this far from the fence on the, on the spectator side. And they were this far from the fence on the player side, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, you're like sitting there on the bench with them, talking to them. And, and the people in the stands were talking to them. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, you know, like in baseball, you sit and you just chit chat on the bench, right? Also high Corbett field where it was, is where they filmed all the spring training scenes from Major League. Uh, so it was awesome to go to a game where they filmed Major League, which is one of the best baseball movies ever made. It's really funny, yeah. Really good. And, and now then the- we went to Phoenix. And went, they went to Phoenix, and, uh, you know, you're separated from the players. and The stadiums are bigger. And my guess is they went to Phoenix because everyone else is in Phoenix. If you remember, yeah. when we were going to spring training, the Rockies were the last team in Tucson. Yeah, it was hard to get. It's hard to get good. It was hard to get games because it was not easy to get the games because they're all in, they're all in Phoenix. Also, you know, we did the drive. It's a forty-five minute bus ride, and yeah, it's not that big a deal. But wouldn't it be nice not to have any bus ride for all of spring training? Because you're going to be traveling for the next six months during the regular season. So you go to Phoenix, and all your games are in Phoenix. So the Rockies were the final holdout, but they moved from Tucson to Phoenix, and now all the Arizona League teams are in Phoenix. And that kind of makes sense because the opposing teams would have to bus down to Tucson, and the Rockies would have to bus up to Phoenix, and it makes your spring training less relaxing. So if you could eliminate 30, 40 hours of busing. But still, I loved Tucson. I loved High Corbett Field. I would still go back to spring training, though. Someday, right? Someday, yeah. But I can see why. Because because uh, uh, the Rockets were a young club. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're less than 10 years old. I, think, well, I don't know where we when we went down there. They were about like 15 10, years 15, old when we went down 10, there. 10, 15 years old, yeah. So they were still a young club. And so they were still getting their bearings, so, I would imagine. Uh, on this April Fool's Day, we did a Today I Learned episode. Did we really learn anything? I don't think so. I mean, fact. Nothing really of nothing. A lot of trivia, mm-hmm. which is fun, but nothing uh, that I'm going to probably remember tomorrow. That's true. <laughs> That's going to change my life. So but, uh, we can wrap but this up. I did, I did learn. I did learn. It was fun. If you laugh, then... Whether it allows you to live in your 90s, but people in their 90s certainly do laugh a lot. Yes. And I will say, today I learned that I'm excited for baseball season. Go Rockies. (laughs) Happy April Fools. We didn't play any tricks on each other, did we? No. That's not really our style. That's that's not our our gig. So I got the, uh, the theme music playing. Is there anything you'd like to say before we get out of here? Hey, yeah. You know... David, keep on talking, but listen more than you talk, 
and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye, everyone. Bye.